Bullshit Stunts. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at CoreArmReport.com. You know, I'm, i got to tell you this. I'm happy to be the host of the number one political podcast in the state, but I can't do that without Jeremy Wallace, ace reporter at the Houston Chronicle and HoustonChronicle.com. Hello. Hey, I am here. Ready to go. Are you ready? Oh, Did yeah. you go to any concerts this week, or are those oh, coming no. up this weekend? Yeah, I'm hitting this weekend. You know, I got a trip to the Mohawk, going to head up to the Blue Bonnet Festival, mm-hmm. you know, catch some music up there. All will be good. <laughs> I am reporting from Nacogdoches, Texas today, where they have the Blueberry Festival coming up very yeah. soon. Is it, well, get out, is get out and enjoy Texas. Yeah. Yeah. This is Fiesta Week, the last weekend of Fiesta mm-hmm. in San Antonio, too. It's it's a hard decision, you know, like how much time do you spend in San Antonio? How much do you go to the Blue Bonnet Festival? How, mm-hmm. like, there's too many festivals going on at the same time. People are going to ask why we may not talk about some things that the little governor, Dan Patrick, talked about this week. If it gets serious, we will. If he's just talking, we won't. That's. I'm just going to say that. And I'm not even right now going to mention what I'm talking about. You've all seen it on social media and everywhere else. Just today, here in Nacogdoches, as I'm reporting to you, uh, the Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan, said... And it was a not-so-veiled shot at Patrick. He said, we're going to focus on kitchen table issues in the next legislative session. Jeremy, let's see how that goes amid all the other stuff that's happening. Here was one of the giant stories about Texas as it was covered all across America. I saw the headlines on Fox News Channel, on their website, and other places about how Texas is going to basically round up the illegal immigrants down on the border and take them to Washington. In fact... I think one person on Fox said something like, Greg Abbott is now the Ron DeSantis of Texas, which I thought is probably not exactly the way that Abbott's folks wanted that to play. Well, especially uh, since Abbott's been around far longer than Ron DeSantis, which is just such a kick in the pants right there. Right. So (laughs) Abbott uh, made an announcement on the border and said a couple of things. One of them, I think, is a little more significant than the other. One of the things he said is that he would have law enforcement in this state step up inspections of vehicles as they're coming uh, from uh, Mexico, although they did have to walk that back a little bit and say that'll just be for commercial vehicles, right? So that would slow down trade, which is something that Don Huffines, who I'm trying to remember, did Abbott beat Huffines or did he lose to Huffines? Oh, he beat him. So we're still doing the things that Don Huffines wanted to do. We're going to, you know, slow down uh, commerce between Mexico and Texas. Uh, The other thing that Abbott said, and here's where the big headlines came in, he said he's going to arrange for buses to be provided to take undocumented immigrants from the border in Texas up to Washington, D.C. To help local officials whose communities are being overwhelmed by hordes of illegal immigrants who are being dropped off by the Biden administration. Texas is providing charter buses to send these illegal immigrants who have been dropped off by the Biden administration to Washington, D.C. We are sending them to the United States Capitol where the Biden administration will be able to more immediately address the needs of the people that they are allowing to come across our border. Senator Roland Gutierrez from San Antonio did not mince words about this. He said, this is a quote, bullshit stunt. Yesterday, Greg Abbott announced that he was gonna take 900 buses and bus immigrants from the border area to Washington, D.C. 
We don't need those kinds of bullshit stunts with our tax dollars. We work hard for our money here in Texas. Tell Greg Abbott to fix our grid, to fix our schools, to fix our health care, and do what's right for Texas. Jeremy, he's a Democrat, so I expect that from him if this is just a normal partisan sort of fight, but it's not really that. And I saw the press release from the governor's office, I think an hour or two later after the announcement had been made down in South Texas, and one thing in the press release from Abbott's office that caught everybody's eye was, oh, guess what? This is all voluntary. They can't make people who are down there get on these buses and go to Washington. That, that I mean, that was already questionable when he said it. And then his own office says, oh, by the way, it's just voluntary. So you heard Gutierrez there as a Democrat say that this is silly. Jonathan Stickland, who's no liberal, a former state representative from Tarrant County, one of the uh, you know big Tea Party guys uh, for close to a decade in the legislature. He also called it a stunt, said it was silly. I had an exchange with a guy named Bill Peacock, who uh, has been uh, vice president of research at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Are they liberals, Jeremy? <laughs> that is is that a bunch of left wingers <laughs> over there at TPPF? No, Bill Peacock, who I think is retired now, he said, quote, Abbott has become a mini tyrant and a fraud. The bus to D.C. stunt was about the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And there's plenty of competition for stupid stuff in Texas <laughs> and in politics, he said, close quote. Um, this was exposed as especially silly on Fox News Channel. Now, remember, Fox carried the announcement live as Abbott was talking about what he was going to do on the border. And to one of the points that you've made often, Jeremy, that the gold with Fox is to be covered by Sean Hannity as some kind of a, you know conservative warrior, which I saw Abbott got that right. I mean, Hannity was saying that this is fantastic, but Hannity did not mention that this is a, quote, voluntary program. But... Abbott was appearing on Fox News after the announcement, and Dana Perino asked him about the voluntary nature of what he's talking about with these buses. Tell us more about your plan, and also I understand that there was a press release that was issued later last night that explained that uh, the migrants would have to volunteer to get on a bus to go to Washington, D.C. Is that right? Well, let me explain how this whole process works. First, the, the big goal that we're seeking to achieve, uh, and that is uh, Joe Biden has refused to come to the border to see the chaos that he has created by his open border policies. So we're going to take the border to him by uh, uh, transporting uh, the, the people that he is dropping off in these local communities in the state of Texas uh, and sending them to Washington by plane or by bus. Uh, what was happening is uh, th there's an increased number of people coming across the border that they, the federal government, uh, are processing and then letting loose. And what has been happening so far is those people will be getting on buses and going to San Antonio or, or, or Houston or other places like that. And so I think they just need longer bus rides. Uh, with, with regard to uh, the, the voluntary component of it, understand this. Uh, and that is, uh, uh, Dana, if I were to go to Washington, D.C. Uh, and, and take you and put you on a bus and take you down to the Rio Grande Valley, that would be kidnapping. Same thing applies to uh, anybody who refuses uh, to get onto a bus. That would be kidnapping, even though it would be by a law enforcement agency. So there are laws that have to be followed in this process. That said, I can tell you this. Uh, overnight, uh, there were multiple communities in the Rio Grande Valley uh, that have been in, in communication with their office uh, asking us uh, to provide buses for them, maybe even planes to provide for them uh, for the movement of, of these migrants. Listen, these, these migrants, once they come across the border, it's not as if they want to stay down there in the Rio Grande Valley. As you have already reported previously, they're moving across the entire country. 
as they move across the entire country, what better place for them to go to than the steps of the United States Capitol? They get to see the wonderful Capitol, but also get closer to the people who are making these policies mm -hmm. that are allowing people to come across the border illegally. Jeremy, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I wonder yes. if this I wonder if this blew up in Abbott's face a little bit, or is it playing with the Republican base just the way that he would hope that it would, that he's being tough on the border? And remember this, we're also moving toward a general election where, look, if you look at uh, polling uh, over the last decade to 15 years in Texas and other places as well, but especially in Texas, this issue immigration and border security is the one that inflames the base of the Republican Party the most. The only thing that was even close in recent memory was the idea of vaccine mandates, but even that has seemed to kind of wane as the pandemic has also uh, sort of waned, at least in the people's, uh, you know, in their perception uh, of what's going on, because we don't have the restrictions anymore that we had, uh, you know, two years for the last two years, 18 months. Um, remember when people were so angry? about Abbott's pandemic restrictions. And, you know, it's, they're kind of past all that right now. Um, you do have uh, other conservatives. I think, did Matt Schaefer say something about this? This isn't yeah, exactly... Yeah, he blasted the idea. And then yeah. and the one I found most interesting was uh, Alan West, you know, the guy who ran yeah. for governor against mm -hmm. Abbott uh, and lost in the primary handily. Uh, mm -hmm. But he ended up you know, saying, like, you know, who pays for this stuck on stupid idea, <laughs> you know, which is you know, pretty much to the point. But it's interesting. So, so uh, you know, the, the more I was thinking about this, I'm like, wait, I know I've heard yeah. this before. Where is Greg Abbott taking this from? And it's like, mm -hmm. of course, he is cheating off of Ted Cruz's paper. Yeah, I don't know. Almost everybody forgot this happened uh, because nobody cared, really. But back in October of, the, of last year, Ted Cruz proposed a bill that would take the immigrants you know, coming across the border and send them to Martha's Vineyard and oh, to yeah. San Francisco, California, and to Cambridge, Massachusetts. To, to liberal to, places. Basically, yeah, to send it all to liberal places. Uh, it was such a bad idea. It's like, it, <laughs> how bad was it? It was so bad that not a single solitary senator signed up as a co-sponsor. Yeah, like nobody even wanted to be associated with it. Of course, again, no play whatsoever. Nobody cared about it. Uh, he talked about it for a couple of weeks, sent out a bunch of press right. releases, but nobody took it seriously. So, so Abbott is trying to copy that? Question mark, question mark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is kind of what he's kind of doing. He's trying to do the same thing, you know, but in a different way. But, you know, but he's... Again, it's like if he had watched how Ted Cruz's idea had just gotten really zero attention, mm -hmm. you know, it just didn't really resonate. And here he's trying to do this and it's like he can't really do it. He got his minute on Sean Hannity. But right. is that really worth it, you know, based upon all the, the serious conservatives you know, in Texas that we were just talking about, TPPF and, you mm -hmm. know, Matt Schaefer, the Republican right. Party of Texas people. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's like nobody thinks this is a great idea. You know, it's like, yeah. come on. It's like, just well, go on to something else. Do something more, you know, pointed towards the border, you mm -hmm. know, maybe. But this is just not it. Well, and I wonder if it's some frustration with all of the state's efforts so far, which aren't yielding the kind of results that the base of the Republican Party wants. I have brought yeah. this up before, and I'll do it again. Uh, at this point, we're talking about m more than $6 billion in recent years that's been spent by the state of Texas to, quote unquote, secure the border. And the very people who have done that are the same ones that keep saying it's a disaster on the border. So yep. if you're spending all these resources, and look, there was another story uh, just this morning, Dallas Morning News, I thought they had some good uh, reporting on the actual numbers, uh, how much we're spending 
on border security, remember, the state is now pushing forward with another half billion. That's what they want to keep doing this. The, the tab for this, for the biennium, has grown to something like $3 billion, with the vast majority of that done without legislative oversight, right? And so, yeah. <laughs> to your point, what are we doing? Is, uh, is Greg Abbott going to take every one of Ted Cruz's ideas that went over like a lead balloon and dust it off and try to do it again? Um, in mentioning Cruz, he's been blaming Democrats, of course, for opposition to any legislation aimed at curbing illegal immigration. And you may have seen he was pushing what he called a bipartisan bill because there were some Democrats who signed on to this to extend what's called Title 42. So this gets a little complicated. I guess it's not that complicated. Title 42 was put in place in 2020 uh, at the behest of the Centers for Disease Control in response to COVID-19. Basically, it says that we are allowed in this country, the administration's allowed to reject migrants who are coming in because of concerns about COVID-19. You've heard this yeah. over and over again, right? We, uh, Ted Cruz and others will say, we've got illegal immigrants coming to Texas and they've got COVID-19. We're also, Jeremy, sort of selective, aren't we, about when we are concerned about who has COVID-19 and about precautionary measures. Um, it seems like every other precautionary measure has been objected to by the same exact people. But with this one, because it's undocumented immigrants, well, we need to keep them out. Cruz in Washington was saying that it's the Democratic Party that has caused all these issues when it comes to illegal immigration. Unfortunately, what is happening is the intended results of Democrats. It's not accidental. They intend this. Title 42 enables us to stop people who are public health threats, particularly during the COVID pandemic, from coming into this country. It is the one legal tool that the Biden administration has yet to gut, and they're in active discussions about gutting that as well. And so allowing yet more illegal immigrants with COVID-19 into the country. I introduced legislation to preserve Title 42. Zero Democrats are sponsoring it. Last year, I introduced legislation to prevent the Biden administration from sending millions of dollars of stimulus payments to millions of illegal immigrants. Every single Democrat voted no. All of them. Failed by one vote. If one Democrat had voted for it, we would have stopped the Biden administration from sending stimulus checks to millions of illegal immigrants, but every Democrat supported it. Right back to this argument that Cruz and others want to make that Democrats want for there to be undocumented people in the United States because that's a whole crop of new voters for the Democratic Party. Jeremy, that would seem to run counter to the argument that the Republicans are making right now and investments that Republicans are making right now in South Texas, where there have been a lot of people whose immigration status has been in question in places like the Valley. How many people do we know, uh, maybe, you know, legal residents or our citizens, but they have someone who lives in their home who's not documented, right? It might be an aunt or an uncle that that doesn't just happen in the Valley, it happens in places like Houston, San Antonio and elsewhere. Um, but this idea that if you have uh, undocumented folks coming into the country, they're going to necessarily turn to the Democratic Party. Um, you've got a lot of Republicans making the exact opposite argument about immigrants. And people, look, they will say, well, we want, Scott, what don't you understand about illegal? What is it about that word you don't get? Well, immigration is a little more complicated than that. Um, and Believe me, I've covered this for a long time. Um, and a lot of those folks, Jeremy, would be open and willing to vote for Republicans 
if they were not bad-mouthing members of their own family all the time. And I had a state senator who was a Republican, a senior senator, say that at one point to me. Say, look, you know, you've got a lot of Hispanic people, a lot of Latinos who are pretty conservative across the board, uh, and not all. I mean, you, you look at uh, the amazement of the national media now as they start to discover that, oh, by the way, Hispanics in South Texas, they sort of break down like the population at large all across the country. Guess what? Because these are not, it's not a monolith, right? These people don't yeah, all think right. the same. Right? In, in other words, they're up for grabs. Make your arguments to these people instead of demagoguing them, and maybe they'd be open to voting for you guys. Yeah, and and it's yeah, it's such a you know bigger, complicated problem, right? You know, and 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 I've talked about it before on the show. Everybody wants a simple answer to a complicated problem: build a wall, everything's fixed. Bust yeah. them away, <laughs> everything's fixed. No, no, no. It's like until like it would be great if like you know they there was some energy put into fixing the legal immigration system part. Mm -hmm. You know that is you know creating this massive backlog. You know it's like the people who like you know, think about the home builders in Texas and the you know the roofers and stuff like that that are like they want to bring more people in to work in Texas, but it's not legal. There's not enough you know visas. For them to bring people over it's like if we fix the legal piece of it so they can get like you know a lot of the young men that are being caught at the border is mm -hmm. like you know ben Werman you know did some really good work on this stuff our washington correspondent for the houston chronicle but a lot of the people that are getting caught you know are just coming back around to get through again and they're young men who are trying to get to the country to make money to send home right. it's just like okay so it used to be back in the olden days where you could do that, you know, you could cross, work, go back, you know, yeah. and it's like, but we've made that almost impossible. And so, like, it'd be interesting to see if, like, if Ted Cruz and, you know, could find some common ground with Democrats mm -hmm. to go after a way to fix the legal portion of it, you mm -hmm. know. And, and then deal with like the border security. Like, of course, a lot of Republicans said border security first, nothing else. But if yeah. you fix that legal component, it seems like you would, you know, break off like the illegal crossers who normally would have been legal at a mm -hmm. time in this country that we're just now saying now we don't want. You can see this confusing message going back to these workers who are just trying to find money to send home. You know? Well, and if if you um, have uh, listened to and considered the arguments uh, from some Republicans, like my friend Matt Schaefer, who would say that uh, these folks come into Texas and they're a drain on state resources and local resources, um, consider this: if you have an what you're describing about people coming into the state and then going back to Mexico, that's also been called an elastic workforce. What that means is when you have work for the people, they come in, and when you don't have work for them, they leave. So how can they yeah. be a drain if they leave, right? It, th what we used to have pre-9-11, and what you're t a lot of what you're talking about happened after 9-11. They really, you know, cracked down on yes. border security after the terrorist attack. Um, and, you know, a lot of folks would say, hey, that's appropriate. But what happened as a consequence, people would make the dangerous journey into the United States and then not go back because it is such a difficult thing to cross the border now, whereas exactly. it wasn't it wasn't before. Uh, and so if anything, all this extra militarization of the border, extra security on the border, if there is any drain at all, which by the way, every study shows it's not true, that, that uh, folks who are here in undocumented fashion, by and large contribute to the Texas economy in a huge way. But if there was any drain at all, it would be, it would be because they can't easily go back and forth across the border. 
let me ask you a question about the race for governor. Do you believe at all that at this point we would be able to say with a straight face that Greg Abbott, who we're just talking about, and Beto O'Rourke are tied in the race for governor? Does that sound right to you? I, I don't even know how to even make that assessment. You know, it's like, how, <laughs> how, I don't know. It's like we got there was months a, to go. I don't want to hear about races being tied or blowouts or yeah. close or whatever. Nobody it's, knows what this race is right now. Yeah. Let me say a couple of things about this because, and it, it, look, uh, people asked uh, last week, uh, people were tweeting at me and some people like to write in the comments of the podcast, why don't y'all talk about this poll about how Beto and Abbott are tied? Well, first thing, dear listener. I decide what we talk about, not you. And you listen to it every week. We're the professionals here. Jeremy's a professional. Harper, our producer, is a professional. You're not. You're the audience. You sit and listen <laughs> while I'm talking to you. Um, we're not talking. And Jeremy has railed about this before on social media and here on the show. Not every poll is news. Now, it turns into a talking point for Beto O'Rourke. I saw that he uh, he actually tweeted out this TV report from KVU Television in Austin where they were sort of breathlessly reporting that this race is all tied up. The candidates are pretty much tied. 42% of voters say they're backing Republican Governor Greg Abbott, while 40% say they'd vote for Democrat Beto O'Rourke. The governor's lead is well within the margin of error, making this a tight race. A tight race, Jeremy. Look, it could be tight. It, probably not. I, it, based on everything I know, all the polling that we've seen, just anecdotal information from traveling the state. Every, again, Jeremy and I are the ones who do that, traveling all over the state to talk to people about this stuff so, just so that you don't have to. It's all here for you in the podcast and in our social media feeds, in the Houston Chronicle and QuorumReport.com. We know that... This is probably more like a 10-point race if I had to guess right now, but I would say one thing about polling, and I know Jeremy will say a lot more because it's one of his passions, is to tell us why polls are, shouldn't be taken seriously this far out. Um, and based on certain uh, questions about methodology, in this poll that was from the Texas Lyceum, they admitted that the kind of sampling they did of voters is not what you would do for a horse race poll. Right. They, they, were, they were more focused on other issues, which makes me wonder why they even polled the governor's race. Um, but polls are not. And this is where people get this really wrong, Jeremy. Polls are not supposed to predict the future. That is not what a poll is. Right. It's supposed to. If it's a good one, if it's a quality polling, if it's quality polling, it should be a snapshot for you of people's attitudes right now and maybe kind of where the race is. But. To say that someone's a likely voter or an extremely very likely voter in April <laughs> before a general election, there's just no way to know that, right? Yeah, and, and that's a very key point. Like, you have to know who's going to vote, you know, in the election cycle, right? And so you have to kind of, you know, have the right mix of people you're polling who represent what that turnout's going to look like in November. And if there's one thing we've proven in Texas in our polling over the last two cycles is we have no idea who's showing up to vote. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, you know, our polls have been so dramatically off because all the polling samples have not been reflective of what actually happened on Election Day. It's like right. the numbers were just way too much. You know, people didn't expect as many people to turn out in 2018 by a long shot. You know, nobody – no reasonable pollsters said, oh, okay, we're going to have like presidential turnout in a midterm cycle in 2018. It's like, 
the numbers are just wrong. But anyhow, the, the short version of this, it, you know, to me is like, so the guy who tells you the Houston Astros are going to win the World Series in October of this upcoming mm-hmm. year is as close to having this, you know, that right as the guy who tells you Beto or Greg Abbott are going to win. He might be right. He yeah. might be right in whatever he's saying about the Astros, but it's totally not based on anything but a hunch, and there's a lot of baseball mm-hmm. to be played. And in this case, with Beto and Abbott, that is the perfect analogy because there's a lot of baseball to be played. These guys have a whole summer to go, and mm-hmm. we cannot see what's coming. And I have no idea. You know, like Again, it's like just trying to figure out who's going to vote is going to be what – who's going to be fired up? Who mm-hmm. in, in August and September is going to be sitting there like, that's it. I'm getting out there to vote. That is harder yeah. to do in politics and people understand. To get people in a midterm cycle to say, you know what, I care so desperately bad about this. I am going to go vote to make sure X doesn't get into office or X mm-hmm. gets out of office. It's a long way to go, folks. Just You have to listen to this podcast every week until then to get right. a real sense as to what is going to happen. <laughs> we will sort it all out for you. Um, did you see that there were some national headlines? I'm doing a lot of this today. I, sometimes my frustration builds up or I need to correct the national media about Texas. Um, so you have uh, Newsweek and others uh, covering a uh, GOP runoff for Texas House in Tarrant County. And this is uh, between two very conservative lawmakers. Uh, Stephanie Click is one of the chairs in the Texas House of Representatives. She is no liberal. When we cover the very conservative agenda of the Texas legislature over the last two years, she voted for all of that, right? I mean, every one of the bills that you, you could think of, six-week abortion ban, critical race theory uh, banned, two critical race theory bans, I should say, uh, constitutional carry, go down the list. She voted for all of that. And in this Republican runoff, the issue of abortion has taken front uh, you know, center stage. Why? I mean, you would think that for conservative Republicans, a six-week abortion ban that is now being copied around the country and other places would be conservative enough or pretty conservative but this guy david lowe who's challenging stephanie click says this that he's against any of these abortion bills that would be brought to the floor of the texas house now he's not liberal either i'm saying that a lot on this show he thinks that those bills don't go far enough okay he's one of the guys who thinks that it would be a good idea and this by the way this has been proposed several sessions in a row it never goes anywhere and i i guess this is where i'm correcting national media just a bit they sort of make it jeremy sound like republicans in texas want to execute women who get abortions in texas for the last couple sessions there's been a bill filed to allow for that and it never goes in it doesn't even get out of a committee right in in some sessions it didn't even get a hearing in some states did you know that they have to have a hearing on every bill that's filed in Texas, it's at the chairman's discretion. The last time that something like this was proposed, um, you had uh, Chairman uh, Jeff Leach. Actually, this was two times ago, two sessions ago. Jeff Leach, who uh, is the chair of the Judiciary Committee, he said in the House, he said that um, this committee will not move any bill. We will not even have a vote on a bill that criminalizes a woman who seeks an abortion. He's a very conservative Republican. So this guy, David Lowe, challenging Stephanie Click, says, those bills that they've been passing, like the six-week abortion ban, complete with the 
bounty hunter lawsuits and all of that, those, quote, pro-life bills do not go far enough. At the end of the day, I started, I, I kept reading and doing my research, and it makes so much sense yeah. to the point where I told Pastor John Speed, I'm willing to stand on the House floor and vote no to any pro-life bill. The only thing we need to do is abolish abortion. Amen. Period. And honestly, I'm a partisan, right? I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative Republican. Yeah. And we have the majority, and we've had the majority for 20 years in Texas. Yeah. There shouldn't be a single thing we don't get passed. So yeah. if you're trying to regulate abortion instead of abolish abortion, you're not thinking about the little babies that are being murdered. In a lot of ways, Jeremy, and I'll compare this to the debate about immigration we were talking about, in some ways, Republicans in office in Texas are absolutely responsible for the, for the way this guy is talking because in their campaigns, they take positions that would make people think that they are in favor of an outright ban on abortion that punishes people for seeking abortions. Uh, that's not what they've done legally. You even have groups like Texas Right to Life, again, not liberals, saying that this guy is going way too far in trying to propose things that the courts would obviously strike down. But on immigration, look, you have uh, a lot of voters in the Republican Party who think that there should be no undocumented people who come through that border ever because of the way people talk about this and because of the amount of money that is being spent on a quote-unquote problem along the border and this is not a new thing um let me give you a quote you tell me who said it and when ready <laughs> if no washington point. if washington won't secure this border texas will that's got to be a rick perry right rick perry and that was in 2006 Right. He was in his advertising at the time. And I've played that ad here on the show before in his commercials. And by the way, he used a similar commercial in 2010 when he was running for reelection uh, again. He was governor for 14 years, by the way. You don't get to be the governor for life without having great hair and great commercials. And uh, and Perry, uh, he would stand in his Carhartt jacket on the Rio Grande and say and that was with a Republican in the White House in 2006 right this was already yep. the thing that was charging up the base so in texas republican leadership has not gone so far as to you know move forward with a bill that would put women to death for abortions but they have helped to create an environment in which the people who think that executing women for abortions would be appropriate the environment's created for those folks to think they have a serious shot at political office and maybe this guy in tarrant county does Boy, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it, you know, that, that's the thing. It's like the, the legislation is just in the rhetoric just gets more and more extreme. It's just right. like it's already like, you know, it's like, if, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's already there's a trigger in the Constitution that says abortion is illegal. Essentially, mm -hmm. you know, once Roe v. Wade is overturned or. If yes. That so we is, right? that's right. So we do have a we, we had a piece of legislation that was uh, that was passed. It's called a trigger bill trigger bill yeah. where they where they say that uh what it what it will do is if roe versus wade is overturned abortion is immediately illegal in texas 
Yeah. And you have... So it's, it's uh, already mm-hmm. there. And so, and I, and I think, and so a lot of the pressure, like, people just want abortion banned. Well, it can't be banned until the Supreme Court d- does something. And so it's like, you know, they'll get what they, you know, what they want if that happens in the Supreme Court. It's just, it's just nothing the Texas legislature can really do. You know, they cannot themselves ban abortion under all circumstances, no matter what, with penalties, you know, for women who seek them. It's like they cannot do that. And as a lot of the, you know, pro-life groups have, you know, cautioned about, it's like when you pass legislation like that and it goes into the courts, it's just like the court fees go back to – you know the the groups that are you know the the pro choice groups that are fighting against these bills, so they make more money mm-hmm. or get more you know funding towards them to help. So every time there's a bad pro life bill, it actually helps the pro choice legal mm-hmm. fights against them. So it's a, it's a weird, twisted you know world for a lot of people to kind of get concept of. But you know it's best not to put dumb legislation out there that's easily overturned <laughs> and results in court fees being handed to the other side. Right. Well, the um, uh, strategy for many years uh, and a pretty successful one by conservatives had been uh, centered around incrementalism. Uh, keep mo- you know, the Supreme Court yep. has said, right, that you have uh, certain parameters you can work within and they keep trying to push the envelope a little further. You know, be a 15 week ban and then a 16, uh, six, a six week ban uh, that we have in Texas. And then a novel idea for uh, for enforcement, which is these bounty hunter lawsuits, you know, and that uh, on that, you know, the Supreme Court would not even step in. Right. Because they said this is a new way to do this. So we're not sure if it's appropriate to have what they call pre enforcement judicial review. They're letting the uh, the ban in Texas stand, at least for now. But it could be as soon as this summer that Roe versus Wade is overturned on the Supreme Court. And that would even be with the new member of the Supreme Court, who was just confirmed by the U.S. Senate this week. On this vote, the yeas are 53, the nays are 47, and this nomination is confirmed. That is Vice President Kamala Harris presiding over the Senate, which is part of her job as vice president. And uh, you heard there were several Republicans, uh, three Republicans, right, who voted uh, to confirm uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson for the Supreme Court. Off the top of my head, who are they? They're Murkowski, Collins, and Romney? Is that yep, right? Yep, Mitt Romney. I think that's, yeah, okay. Uh, I was watching closely because it's interesting to see which Republicans break with the, uh, with the majority. You had tweeted out, or uh, break with the minority, I should say. Uh, you had tweeted out that it would probably not happen, you know, years ago this way, right? Because even people like Antonin Scalia, what was the vote for him? And it, again, right back to my theme, no liberal. Antonin Scalia, was that a unanimous vote for him or pretty close? Just about. It was 96 mm-hmm. to nothing, I think that was. Yeah. And, uh, and even Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a, right, a 96 mm-hmm. to three. Yeah. Right. As like, so you know, have, and Scalia was a 98 to nothing is what he was. So basically unanimous. No objections for sure. You had a Scalia who is, you know, just to the just barely to the left of Attila the Hun. Maybe to the right. <laughs> maybe to the right on some of his uh, writings. And uh, Justice Ginsburg, who's way to the left. Right. Very liberal. Uh, you know, a progressive activist for a lot of her career. And then, you know, becomes uh, one of the uh, uh, liberal uh, stalwarts on the court. Uh, for a long time. Um, and those were basically non-controversial when it came down to the actual vote. And and that's because 
what the Senate had for decades done was defer to the president on their pick. They get to pick the person, right? And and the only question would be whether they were qualified and not so much about exactly what their opinions were or what their political opinions were. And that's borne out by those votes, Jeremy. Yeah, and certainly there's a, a like, well, there, there there have been others throughout the 80s and 90s. You know, Clarence Thomas is a great example. You know, uh, you know Judge Bork who didn't make it. So there there certainly can be a partisan fight. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sure. suggesting yes. that they should all be like, oh, the president gets whoever he wants all of the course. time. Period. There are plenty of fights that like you, know, you go back in time. You know, Richard Nixon lost a few. You know, it's like there were some you know controversial ones back in the day. But you know, by and large, you know, it's like to, now to think about like people who are as polar as Scalia and Ginsburg somehow getting like a, a unanimous vote or close right. to it anymore that's out the window it's like this that's is done. there's too much political importance particularly for Republicans for Republicans mm -hmm. you know it's like we talked about before on the show it's like this is one of the like you know the rails of Republican politics right now mm -hmm. it's like people who couldn't stand Donald Trump and the Republican Party still voted for him because of the court you know, they right. see it as so important to, you know, being the backstop for, you know, what they see as this liberal incursion into American, mm -hmm. you know, life everywhere. Yeah. And so they see guys like Scalia who were just like, you know, they love that guy. You know, it's mm -hmm. like he was exactly what they want in every Supreme Court justice, you know, backing those kinds of people. It's just good politics. So that's why yeah. now Republicans like you can't be given an inch on this. Like you can't be giving, you know, people who have presidential ambitions are not going to vote for, you know, uh, Judge Jackson at this point. It just right. it was no way to do it this time around. Yeah, and Ted Cruz being a prime example, we talked at length about his performance in the uh, in the confirmation hearings um, and words have consequences. We were just talking about that with the abortion issue that Republicans have moved uh, in a direction that has their base now, at least some of the base, demanding that a woman be executed if she seeks an abortion. Remember what Cruz was saying about Judge Jackson, that she was somehow soft on pedophiles. And that led Marjorie Taylor Greene, who we're going to talk about in a second on another story as well. You're getting a double dose of MTG on the show. But you saw Marjorie Taylor Greene the uh, I guess she's what do you call it a MAGA? It's not really Tea Party anymore. People don't say that. It's it's a, a MAGA representative. Is that fair to say about yeah, her? She's very Trumpy. She, she's a, yeah, she's close to QAnon, so it's like it's almost QAnon, it's, it's yeah. MAGA to the max, or maybe on that one. <laughs> well, because of the case that Cruz had laid out against Judge Jackson, uh, MTG Marjorie Taylor Greene said that any of the Republicans who voted in favor of Judge Jackson are pro-pedophile, okay? And Cruz was asked about that comment and listened to his answer. One of your House colleagues, GOP House colleagues, called um, Senators Romney, Murkowski, and Collins pro-pedophile for choosing to vote for um, Judge Jackson's nomination. Do you agree with that sentiment? No, I think that's silly. Of course, Cruz laughs at that. It was real funny. It's, it's uh, a comment she's able to make because of the case that you laid out, Senator. Now, it's uh, important to point out that he is a senator and he does not want to be on the record right saying that that other senators who are republicans are pro pedophile that's a little bit too far jeremy senator cruz on some you know on some level does have to get along with the other people in that chamber 
yeah, they, they still will, you know, share the same lunch room at some point, you know, right. and, and you don't want, and like, yeah. I've actually been in that room, by the way, that mm-hmm. little lunch, you know, room in the Capitol where like senators like have their lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, 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 you just don't want to make it so much harder to get your soup. <laughs> he had at one point, uh, I think he, he, he's, you know, he had to make up with the uh, base of the party after he wouldn't endorse Trump at the RNC, right? And he's also had to sort of make up with senators in the in the U.S. Senate because he has done so much to beat up the institution. And as a senator, uh, you got to be a good coworker if you want to get anything done in that chamber. And he does want to get some things done, right? I mean, uh, he's often criticized as only being a guy running for president, which there's good reason for that criticism. But at one point, Jeremy, he had been uh, uh, derided as the kind of guy, the kind of coworker who microwaves fish at the office. Just, you know, <laughs> somebody who's very unpleasant. Um, uh, we got into some congressional stuff here. Uh, let me end with this. So who is the third most successful fundraiser in the United States House of Representatives. Dan Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw. You remember Representative Crenshaw's silly action hero movie uh, trailer? It was sort of uh, uh, looked like a trailer advertisement for what was going to be like an Avengers sort of movie, that whole deal. Yep. yep. And he went around recruiting candidates to run for Congress, people like Wes Hunt. I'm putting the team together, Wesley. You in? You know I wouldn't miss this for the world, right? Wait, wait. I think August is going to want to come, too. He's there saying that uh, he thinks August Pfluger is going to want to come, too. Uh, Pfluger in Congress and Wes Hunt still trying to get into Congress, right? Uh, so that when, when did that video come out? That was more than that was about two years ago right at this point i'm trying to think yeah that was for the 2020 election cycle yeah right but then he made a follow-up one to that and i think maybe has done a a couple of others but my point with all of it is that this has been part of a giant fundraising effort that you reported on which is showing some pretty impressive results yeah this guy is like raising money like you know i haven't seen from a guy this new into congress you know the, he's on level right now the 11 million dollars he raised is just behind nancy pelosi and kevin mccarthy that's like serious leadership fundraising capabilities and why that's important is like not only is that like you know, helping him in the halls of Congress and deepen his influence there where he can get mm-hmm. better committee assignments, you know, maybe play bigger roles on legislation and things like that. And maybe even head for leadership himself. It's like, yeah. don't be surprised if you start seeing Crenshaw start climbing the ranks. Uh, but the other thing it does, and I think this is something people in Texas should pay close attention to, at least it's starting to get in my head. He's raising the kinds of money that nobody in Texas politics can really match, you know, at least not many. As like, you know, he like to raise eleven million dollars mm-hmm. for a pretty easy reelect. You know, yeah. look at Dan Crenshaw's seat right now. They made it so Montgomery County. He has no chance of losing to the Democrat. You know, right, no matter how much mm-hmm. they put into sure. that thing. That's like this. The, you know, they put three hundred thousand people in Montgomery County into his district, <laughs> which pretty much makes it like. A, a rock solid Republican district. So he raises all this money, and what's he doing with it? He's spreading it out. He's mm-hmm. giving it to other candidates and other states. The love, I track, yes. mm-hmm. Yeah, I tracked it out. He's helping forty-two other congressional candidates in seventeen other states. 
You know, it's like that is him trying to build influence in the halls of Congress. It's like yeah. people in Congress remember that. He's making his own friends that can help him in on legislation, get leadership positions, and have more influence in Congress. And not just spending it on a potential presidential campaign yeah. like, I don't know, say some senators – who raise a ton mm-hmm. of money in Texas, yes. who are trying to run for president. Mm-hmm. But in Crenshaw's case, you know, he might <laughs> run for president someday. Don't, you know, yeah. he's actually even hinted that, that, that that's not a possibility that he's, you know, knocked out. Right. It's like, you never but, say never. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Is his phrasing on it. But like, but, you know, but what he's doing is like, he's building a long-term, you know, influence by helping all the, because he's not just doing a little check here and there. It's kind of like those videos. As much as we make fun of those, you know, Mission oh, yeah. Impossible type things, it's like he's done those in Georgia. You know, like he's mm-hmm. going like full bore into a couple of races in California where he's on the mm-hmm. ground there. He's really helping these people try to raise money. Uh, you know, the Jake Elise race back up in Fort Worth, he really spent a lot of time up there trying to help. In oh, that Jake Elsey, yeah, helping him yeah, after it, the uh, uh, the death of uh, Ron Wright. Correct. You know, say, and all mm-hmm. that matters in the world of Congress and is going yeah. to help him have influence with Republicans, especially if they're going to take the majority back. Dan Crenshaw is going to have a role you know, to mm-hmm. be played. You know, it's like he can he can match Kevin McCarthy in helping raise money for other Republicans. Mm-hmm. That's significant, you know, mojo in, a, you know, in the world of Congress where money just means everything. You know, it's yeah. like it, it means sure everywhere, it everything everywhere, of course, you know, yeah. you know, but in the halls of Congress, there's nothing more important than how much money you raise and what you can show to others. Yeah, the man is becoming a high roller. Indeed. You can check out Jeremy's report, of course, at uh, Houston Chronicle dot com. That is definitely enough show for this week. I did not mention exactly what the lieutenant governor was up to. Check my Twitter feed. That's all I'm going to say about it for now. I'm not going to. I'm not going to spend one breath on it here, because you you don't need to hear hear me rant about that. I've ranted about everything else. If you enjoy this show, and uh, you know you do, uh, you should be a subscriber on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, whatever you listen to the show on. Just make sure to subscribe so it shows up automatically on your phone and give us the best rating you can. Say nice things about the show. Would you please? Thank you. Uh, Subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, and we will see you next time. Mm